Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Welcome to Practically Pastoring, a podcast by pastors for pastors who want to share ideas, uh, become better shepherds, and have a good time with friends. Uh, I am one of the hosts, Frank Gill, up in Milwaukee, Wisconsin. I'm here with some awesome dudes all the way in Baltimore, Maryland, my friend Jeff Simpson. Uh, hi. <laughs> Down in Sumter, South Carolina, Delmar Pete. Hello there. And together, streaming in Safety Harbor, Florida, we have Andrew Larson. Oh, hello, everybody. <laughs> and <laughs> Timothy Miller. That was, that was incredible. Hey, guys. Um, so, Tim, I want to, first off the gate, uh, for our sports segment, I yeah. heard you're pretty upset right now. It's been a rough morning. I woke up to my phone buzzing, telling me that the Jacksonville Jaguars have indeed cut Leonard Fournette who was obviously our number one draft pick just a few short years ago. We picked him instead of Pat Mahomes, instead of Deshaun Watson. And so now our entire team from 2017 that led us to the AFC Championship game is now gone. So it's just a very difficult season for me, trying to figure out what this team is trying to do. And when you have a head coach that that can stare at the camera and say, we do not have an RB1 right now, and you're 13 days away from the start of the season. That is a scary, scary thing. Wow. It, it, hurt, it hurts my heart. I, I know we're not, we, don't, we, don't, we don't typically talk a ton of sports on here, but you probably know me and you know that I am a very massive Jacksonville Jaguars fan. So the coach, coach said this morning, uh, no off the field issues. I like you said we, coach like he was your coach. It is my coach. This morning, he said there were no off the field issues. Look, we, we took names off of jerseys for camp and we evaluated strictly on performance. And he got cut based on performance. And they said, well, what about a draft choice? And he said we couldn't even get a six round trade Ouch. for him. He said nice. nobody wanted anything. That's brutal. That is super brutal. Wow. Talk yeah, about I mean, a shot to it's the funny. ego. Ouch. It's funny how Jacksonville is doing that and the Bucks like – they're the mystery team this year. They're like, they like, right. they went from like being a bunch of jokes, like the jokes of the NFL to having two of the greatest um, players in the NFL. Right. Not to mention, I'm not like, mad about it. All this like, you know, un- unused talent that like hasn't really been done, used well, like Mike Evans and stuff like that. Is it's there still, still, it's pretty incredible. Is there still so, talk about Gronkowski not being used to the heat? Wasn't that a thing uh, for a while? Yeah, like, it was, he was in football shape. He just was not in Florida shape. Right. Is what we were is? saying. Who, who is Gronk? Gronk? Yeah. Uh, no, mean, one. no one. No one. Well, no. Tom Brady is because he's using the TB12 training method, which <laughs> if you don't believe him, just ask him about the Dude, TB12 that... training method. Swipe up. Swipe, Swipe up. <laughs> and you so too. many ads. Had, uh, oh, my gosh, man. That's so funny. Swipe Guys, um, we've had a, an eventful couple weeks. Um, we're actually going to talk about something – uh, political in our clergy cliff note in a little bit. Um, it's been an interesting. Is that a trigger warning? Yeah, that this is a trigger, like warning. <laughs> this is a trigger warning. We're going to talk about politics slightly a little bit. 
Um, uh, I, I think there's going to be an attempt to, to not bring up Jerry Falwell Jr. again. Was, it, was uh, it the grace of God that that news happened as we were wrapping up the show <laughs> last week? I mean, I think right. I think I got the first notification on my phone at about 4.02, and we stopped recording at about 3.50 or something. Oh. It was like, wow, this is just – yeah, it, it's incredible. I do think one day we uh, we should we should circle back on the conversation because I think there's definitely some conversations about pragmatism that we can talk about. But we we have some amazing clergy cliff notes. We have a good discussion. I think for for some people either who are aspiring to be senior pastors or people who are currently in this conversation, we're going to talk about um, how to make changes. And I think the conversation of making churches in an established church period. Is a good discussion, but making this, uh, changes in an older established church, I think two of you particularly, or three of you rather, are particularly making those converse moves. Me and Delmar, we are in established churches that have, I think, like a, a bit of diversity in age and demographics. So there's probably still, you know, in, in, even in large churches, you have like uphill climbs to make any kind of changes. But I'm definitely excited to learn more about this. But let's dive into our clergy cliff note and Delmar. Let's just get this. Let's rip this bandaid off. I've been. I. I don't want to talk about this because I feel like this is just a personal attack towards me only in this group. <laughs> but uh, let's talk about your amazing weight loss success and talk about how no. you used to be a fatty like me, and now you're just a, a dapper Dan <laughs> in South Carolina with her no. ripping abs. And all you did was, <laughs> all you did was just drink, you know, essential oils and fish oh, oil, right? God. That's all you did, right? So tell uh, us. Yeah, how I mean. You, yeah. That yeah, the whole terrible. story. Um, I quit eating Chick Fil A. Don't oh, you dare! Stop! Don't that was you not tell. I, I will say, I think everyone on the show right now has had Chick Fil A, right? Yeah, I think so. <laughs> We're actively had, sponsored by that. Like, like literally it. eating it as we speak. Yeah. Yes. Well, um, you know, a lot to get into, but back uh, about eight, about eight or nine years ago now, I weighed three hundred pounds, and uh, for my build as a five foot. 10, you know, 10 inch guy, not too big, uh, endomorph that equals, um, being fat. That's all. <laughs> well, uh, I went through a crisis in my own personal life that maybe we can get through later. I think that'd be a good conversation for another day for all of us. Uh, but in that, uh, feeling of lo- losing control, I found I was able to control what I ate and I actually went to a conference and, um, Believe it or not, it was Mark Driscoll was speaking at New Spring here in South Carolina. So I was like, ooh, I'm going to go. It was Mark Driscoll, Andy Stanley, Judas Smith, um, Perry. It was like the Woodstock of preaching. So I went down there. Ecumenical heresy conference were you at? I mean, (laughs) at the time, this was like 2000, like what? This is 10 years ago. So 2010, 29, like that was like Woodstock back then, you know, with those guys. The latest Woodstock uh, ever. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. But I remember um, Mark Driscoll, I want to say it was him. He he said this thing and it started to get under my skin a little. He was saying, how can I lead others if you can't lead yourself? Hmm. And uh, I remember being, you know, pretty overweight. And then uh, one day came up and uh, I went to Dollar General and purchased an entire long sleeve of Kit Kats. And I crushed them like I (laughs) crushed. I was walking around. I was like, well, at least I'm walking. And then all of a sudden it hit me. (laughs) I know, right? Right. That's like like going to the. 
it's such a fat guy thought. It's like, hey, it is. It got really my steps in. <laughs> like, I, I know right step. now there are people listening to this podcast. You crushed Chinese buffet and went home and ate an apple to justify it. Like, I know because I've done that. But I remember um, just feeling miserable and uh, feeling I've lost control of every area of my life. And then all of a sudden just saying, hey, listen, this, this has to stop. I'll start dieting tomorrow. And then a, a shift went in my head. I was like, no, I'm going to do it now. It starts like literally right now. And, and I started and, you know, we can go into all this other stuff at a different time if it's, if it's meaningful, but uh, I was able to, I lost over a hundred pounds at that time doing Weight Watchers on my own. I lived in a little tiny town. There was no Weight Watchers in the town, but I, I figured out how to do it. I did that. And then the last like 30, I lost just through counting calories and then going to the gym. Now, all that to say, um, when I came to the church I'm at now, I was, I felt pretty good physique, but then change happened, right? Um, I moved to a bigger church with a more established culture, kind of what we're going to talk about in a minute. And it was an established culture of we're going to have staff meeting and we're going to have fried chicken, meatloaf, mashed potatoes, and even the mm. green bean. We're going to throw a whole stick of butter in it. I witnessed that happening. Okay. I'm just wow. saying like, like, like that's the culture I found myself in and, and it's, it's no blame on them. It's me because I, um, I didn't have boundaries in my life because I controlled my life when I live in a different place and then I got married. So you throw that in there then you have kids and you throw all of these changes in the mix. And I'm just going to be honest with you. If we're going to talk about the elephant in the room, I've noticed over the last year that that has been becoming me again. Um, because I, I have put on a substantial amount of, of weight. And I think for me, um, I've always felt that kind of, um, sting, my, my, one of my greatest wounds from middle school was a guy standing up in computer class, pointing at me and then pointing at the girl I had a crush on that she didn't know and says, she will never date you because you are fat. <laughs> and, wow. and I was, I was, I was like 11 when he did that. Wow. And like in some really sad places, I've been running from my 11 year old version of myself for, you know, all these years. But I think as I get back in here, I talked to Tim this week because I'm I look at him every single week on this this you know Zoom and I'm I like, sit next to him. It's awful. I know, and I'm like, <laughs> but but the, see, here's the thing that frustrates me: like that physique, every one of you guys could have that, you know, because I've been there. I've been to the mountaintop, then I fell down very poorly. Okay, <laughs> but um, but I, one of the things I'm doing in my own personal life to try to get back um, to where I need to be um, physically, spiritually, is I need to put some boundaries in my life to create some spaces where I can be healthy again, because I know that I can, um, but it's just going to require a major intrusion upon how I live every day. So I wanted to bring that up, um, see if any of y'all have had any like experiences with that. Um, there again, I think one of the frustrating things is it's like some people have struggled with it their whole life. Some people struggle with it, got fit, and then fell back out of it, which I think can even be more miserable because now you have the guilt and shame of knowing I could do it. And then you have those who are just um, built athletically, and they have their own set of struggles when it comes to being healthy. But I didn't know if you had any things that you have in your place to even begin this journey of balancing your health and, and really just leading yourself. Yeah, I think it's... It's an interesting topic because we can preach about spiritual disciplines all day long, but when it comes to disciplining ourselves physically, uh, we seem not to put a lot of stock in that, which is just really bizarre in my mind, because I've noticed that me disciplining myself physically has actually 
um, helped spiritually. Because one of the one of the rules I have in my own life is I don't lift a weight if I have not spent time in the word today. So I, I will not let myself work out physically if I have not uh, spent some time with the Lord spiritually. So my journey started about two years ago, 2018, actually two years ago this month. And my sister reached out to me and she said, hey, what do you think about working out on a regular basis and eating a little better? And I said, I will take your physical challenge on, sis, if you take my spiritual challenge on. And my challenge to her at that time was to uh, start a daily reading plan, to get plugged into a local church and to join a home group. So we we challenged each other. She accepted. I accepted. And I mean, we were texting last night and I, I tell her every few weeks um, how much that challenge has changed my life. I now I work out six or seven days uh, a week and I actually enjoy doing it, which is just really weird because I was yeah, I never, think, I think ever I was going to say there needs to be some clarity because for anyone who's who's gone through the, the health journey, um, most people who are on the first side of it, when they hear the word working out, uh, that sounds like a chalkboard and fingernails. Like what would I even go to a gym six days a week? To and do? I've not, I have not stepped foot in a gym in probably four years. So all of my exercising happens at home in my garage or in my living room. So for me, it's uh, it's three sets of dumbbells, light, medium, and heavy, and I follow Beachbody on demand, which is an, it's basically the Netflix of working out, and it's got a bunch of programs on there. So my my go to program that Dell and I are going to be knocking out together real soon is uh, Body Beast by this guy named Siggy, who talks a little bit like Arnold. I, I which, seriously, I, I hear his voice like when I'm yeah. sleeping. Sometimes it's scary. Hey. Body Beast is insane. Like when I did Body Beast, by the time I got to the end of it, it was like I didn't even know that I could even do this. Um, but I think I think one of the things that I wanted to ask is why do you think that is so easy in in pastoral ministry for us to not really lean into this? Aside from the obvious of so many of us are overweight, we don't want to um, go there because there's a level of shame involved in that. Um, why why do you think we don't go there as much as maybe even we should? I'll jump into this one because I, yeah. I, in a lot of ways, I feel like my my middle school and high school experience was completely the the opposite. You know, I was I I I was the the first one to uh, have my shirt off in PE class. Um, you know, but what they say about a skinny kid with abs doesn't count. But I I, I played competitive soccer through the my freshman year of college when I got hurt, and then I was small and slow, which is not a good combination. Um, and then I hit about 25 and the metabolism just hit and it was, Oh, okay. I can't eat at McDonald's three times a day, do one sit up and look the way that I used to. And that took a whole lot of getting used to. And it's still taking getting used to because I walk by a mirror sometimes and, and I cry. But as we've talked about on, on this podcast before, the way that I grew up, my, my parents met in freshman speech class at Bob Jones university. Um, left to my own devices, the legalism can creep in really, really hard in my life. And it's really easy to tell myself, no, 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 I'm not disciplined in this way. And forcing myself to be disciplined in that way is a different kind of legalism. And maybe as a guy who's well on my way to 300 pounds, the way that I tell myself that it's okay is I play that legalism card of no, 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 you know, there's a difference between being self-disciplined and then saying that everybody has to be doing things the same exact way. Yes, my doctor says this. Yes, my pants say this when I try to button them. But 
I rebuke you both because I have freedom in Christ mm. past the queso. <laughs> <laughs> I find like for me, I, I'm not, I would say I'm not a naturally self-disciplined person in any area. Um, it all comes down to interest for me and my, I tend to be more creative, big thought type stuff. And so like, you know, I, I really have to try and stay on task with things because otherwise I will, um, what do they call it? Like, uh, creative, there's a name for it. It's like, what is it called when you don't do something you should do? You put it off procrastination. There's like, yeah, you can like creatively procrastinate as a pastor and do all kinds of little things, especially, I feel like, especially in a smaller church, that's an older church with with an older building, like there's a million little, and I'm handy. So there's a million little projects I can like justify in my mind, like, oh, I could go do that. But uh, so I have to try and stay on task. And when it comes to exercise, I mean, I, I mean, it never used to be an issue for me. And it's almost like I'm having to just grapple with the reality of like 35 is not the same as 22. And, you know, I used to be fairly athletic, um, I, which, you know, I'm pretty coordinated and stuff. So maybe I could be again, but it's just never been something that I've had to try at, you know. So it's hard to think that now I'm going to have to do this long, hard road that's probably, you know, longer than a six month, year long journey to get to where I want to be, because I'm I'm definitely overweight, like way overweight. Um, But I also think there's a there's like a culture among pastors where like food is kind of a like a free pass. You know, like we I mean, we kid around about the best barbecue place and let's go eat here and let's do that. And then I do think there's just the danger of like small church life of potlucks all the time. And that's how people show their love for you. And so you you just got to it's a hard one. It's a really hard one, I think. I I think like one thing I'm getting from uh, for sure from Andrew and Jeff is the same as me is like when I was in high school, I played um you know, football and like, like Andrew, like I played it my freshman year of college and, and, um, and doing sports and conditioning and athletics were not like um, a chore to me. It was like fun. And so therefore, like I was naturally, I was a big guy. I was an offensive lineman, but I was in shape and it never like was a thing I had to think about. Like, I got to do this. Otherwise I'm going to be, well, not, I'm going to be sick. So therefore, like, it was just like, I was always like in kind of like in good shape or whatever. And I think like after football ended, there was like a period of five or six years where like, I just thought I was still that same person. Like, I didn't think like, I was like, like on any given moment, if someone's like, let's have a foot race. I'm like, I still thought I could probably beat that guy. <laughs> like, you know, like that, those thoughts still happen to me. And I'm like, well, into my thirties and there's moments where I'm just now getting to the point where I'm thinking, I need to think through the physical activity because I might break something. You know what I'm saying? Like I need to think through, like, you know, I remember when I was a kid, I would jump off like a, a six foot platform into the ground and, and think to myself, like, you know, this is a, this is adventurous, you know, doing, um, a Stevo type of things where like, I would like get in a shopping cart and just throw them. Like I thought that was funny. Now, every time I think of like jumping off a three foot thing, I'm like, my knees might buckle. Like, you know, like I think about, <laughs> I think about my joints and stuff like that. And, and so for me, man, I think so much is like pretending I'm still the guy from like 15 years ago is still an active issue that I need to like fight against. Or just, come to the grips that like my hairline made that 
true. That wasn't the state. That, that wasn't the case years ago. So your body, the rest of your body is, needs to catch up with what you really are. I think though, like, you know, we talk about, um, we talk about uh, you know, having self-discipline and, and, and being mindful of that. And I think when it comes to like, we live in a time right now where the prototypical pastor um, culturally, not like biblically, but culturally are like these really handsome guys, right? Like it's it, like, it's kind of shifted from that's like, how I got the job. Yes. <laughs> but like, I mean, like, like, like I, and I'm not, I'm not saying this is right or wrong. I'm saying like, there was a time where like, the prototypical pastor was more of what he was espousing and what he was thinking and what he was saying. Now it's very much like a look, like, does he look the part? I'm not saying this is right. I'm not saying this is good. But when we look at like the, the you know, it, there's a reason why Rick Warren was who, the guy 20 years ago. And now like the guy is like Chad Craig Rochelle, baby. Craig, yeah. Freaking, <laughs> you know, mini Hulk, right? Like you have all these dudes who are like, literally actively caring about their appearance and stuff like that with that being said like there is this kind of like insecurities i have like i could think as much as i can like expose god's word and and um and 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 have like you know be careful with my theology do all the stuff that like timothy talks about in the book of timothy um that like people might say why should i take him seriously look how he doesn't care about his weight you know what i'm saying and so that insecurity does bubble up and 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 I try to see that as a conviction from the spirit saying, I need to be more mindful of myself, not so much I need to try to look apart because that's that's not what's accurate. But it does make me think about this. You know, a lot of people give a lot of crap to Rick Warren for the Daniel plan. And yeah, that's a little gimmicky and a little whatever. But like, God bless the guy who says, we need to be healthy physically and I'm going to write a book and on my on the church grounds have like exercise stuff so that people can come to church and then afterwards walk on the trail, do a couple exercise things, and let me give you some kind of like dieting plan. Like, I never hear that. And I, and I, and I, I when I first heard about the Daniel plan, I used to be like, okay, Rick, you need another book. But then I'm thinking to myself, like, this is him shepherding his people well by caring about their actual physical health. And I think like there's something, yeah, I mean, like, for almost all of us in youth ministry, being fat was kind of like the, the gimmick to get you the credit with the kids. Like, hey, you know, he's going to bring pizza. So it's a good thing, right? There's there's a point where it's like, man, I need to really check my health. I, like you guys, I'm talking to my doctors. I, you know, I'm on certain medications. It's actually helping me uh, th- think through like what I'm eating and stuff like that. But, you know, maybe I need to get man, a subscription to this Beachbody stuff. You just dumped so much like content right in front of here that I feel like we could spend an entire podcast just mulling through a couple things that I, that I hear here is one of one thing that we have to be certain of is when it comes to being healthy, motivation is so key. Like, like not that you're being motivated because I need to look good. Um, I actually, had someone compare me to another pastor who looked good the other day. And they said, well, he doesn't even have to try to fit in because he looks good. And and I'll be honest, man, that hurt me to my core. Hey, Delmar, um, Delmar, though, you have yeah. to admit, this is, a, this is, this is an observation. There no, are, go ahead. there are, there are, um, Christian speakers, influencers. I don't want, they're not pastors, but they're like Christian voices who have a platform only because they're handsome. 
Only because I, I could like absolutely, I mean, I and that's I'm, and that's there's some guys. So yeah, no, like, you're right. Guys, you're that's right why here. we. <laughs> no, <laughs> but that's why we need to say it. Like, if if your motivation is to become a Christian speaker or whatever, that can't be it. It has to be. It has to be because I need discipline in my life, or and it can't be just because it's a fad. I mean, I, I hate to just poo poo on it, but I know the pastors who've been on the youth pastor weight diet for ten years and they're still morbidly obese. It's like at some point, this thing is a gimmick. It's not authentic and it's not producing what you're trying to produce. And I think another very practical thing that I would just encourage pastors with is when you, when you reference, I know pastors who are vulnerable on stage and they do reference their weight on stage. I think if you've never gone there, it's okay to take the space to go there and say, I've got a thorn in my side. But when you revisit it every week, it does begin to come like, well, that's the thing I'm allowing, you know, that's just our pastor. He's, he's big, he's working on it. But like, instead of being like, there it is. And now let me see me moving away from that. And I think what it really comes down to, if we're going to really, you want to get to the bottom line of it. Um, I think we have a lot of pastors who are unwilling to admit that they're addicts. Oh yeah. It's totally like an acceptable vice yeah. within, it is. And within like, Christianity. And I think especially among pastors. So I think if you're, if you're listening to this, the biggest thing that I ever did um, to start my weight loss journey at all, was um, I did go to a couple Weight Watchers uh, classes. <laughs> it was all women and me, right? Um, but I realized after like my first or second one, Weight Watchers was simply um, AA for food people. That's all it is. And and what I what I realized is, Dell, the the real thing I need is just to admit that I'm an addict. Now the bad thing is the thing that I'm addicted to is also the thing I got to have to live food. You know, but there are certain things that trigger it more. And for me, like if anyone asks, like I would consider myself an addict in a negative way towards certain types of food and I can't I just can't be around them. That was huge for me. Um, and, and the other thing I think that that I've realized in my own life is one of the reasons that I run to that addiction or run to the food and this not just food, but with a lot of stuff is it's actually a symptom that there are other things in our life that we're not wanting to step into because like how many times is there a problem over here and we need to go to the problem, but it's much easier just to go to like some Chick-fil-A or Popeye's or whatever, because it's just, it's easier. Right. So I, I, in the, in we, at our church, we call that triangling out to something because it's like, you're supposed to be addressing your issues and you're, you're triangling out. So to me, I think right now, one of the reasons I, I wanted to bring it up while we're in this season of the podcast is because everyone's in change right now. Like for it, it was it, for me, it started when I moved here, but now it's COVID everyone's in change. Um, and I think right now is the opportunity for us to kind of lean in together and say, okay, but that's not an excuse. Like in pastor, if, if you've noticed over the last six, eight months, like you've let yourself go, like this is a call to, you know, return because I think sometimes the hardest thing ever for me to do since I, in the last year, I'm not even going to lie. This is probably the hardest thing ever I've done. And I freaking left my old job. Okay. And came here. The hardest thing I've done was this morning at 9am when I stepped on my scale. Oof. Oof. Yeah. Ouch. I did not want to do it. 
And I was like, I'll just guess, I'll just guess my number. But then I'm like, no, Tim's going to be looking at this app I have on my phone because he's holding me accountable. And if I don't step on that scale today, and I was going to just put some numbers in. And then I thought to myself, why, why am I avoiding the scale? Oh, because I know there's a reality about me that I don't want to face. What's that reality about me that I want to face? I've gained weight. Okay, why have I gained weight? Because I ran to some comfort. Why have I run to some comfort? Because I'm in stress. What am I stressed about? There's change in my life. Who am I not running to? I'm not running to Jesus. Like, man, that I had my quiet time on the scale this morning, you know? But I think like if we really trace that, um, there's a lot of a lot of health to be found in it. That's really good, Dale. I think what's really important too that you I mean you hit on a couple of times and it's like you think about this fitness journey and, and you just get this like this broad, like, oh my gosh, this is going to take three years or how could I ever even, and it, it has to start somewhere. So even you stepping on the scale or even you last week telling me, you know, I, I haven't counted calories in a while. I'm going to start counting calories the week before I, I really get serious about my exercise. For me, um, it was, it was sugary beverages. So I, I was a sweet tea addict. Like I just flat out admit it. So the biggest thing in my life that I cut out immediately and dropped a lot of weight in just a couple of days was sweet tea. So I, I'm now, uh, I drink a lot of seltzer water and I allow myself a sugary beverage usually you know, once a week or so, only when I'm out at a restaurant. And he always yells at me for ordering Coke and he calls me a fatty. And Because it's feelings. the easiest way to start on your fitness journey. I mean, if you can, if you can eliminate 200 calories from a beverage, do it. Like for me, it's just where are you going to start? Yeah, I don't and then they what say do, never your drink goals? your calories. I think that's a – Yeah, it's so silly. It's almost a waste. So my, my lifetime fitness class – It's I never follow. Yeah. Yeah. My, my lifetime fitness class in, uh, in undergrad at a, at a Christian college, the, it was, Hey, let's learn all, the, all these Bible verses about losing weight. And you uh, did the Awana of fitness. Exactly. Yes. I, did, I did Awana fitness for college credit, <laughs> the joy of Christian college. But yeah, so it was the, you know, if you eat after eight, you will gain weight, never drink your calories and that kind of stuff. And then let's somehow apply first Corinthians ten thirty one to the size of your waist Wow. uh, (laughs) But again, at the time, I was young and athletic with a very fast metabolism, and I thought nothing of it. You know, at the time, I was incredibly spiritually unhealthy. Mm. Wow. But physically, you know, I had a 28-inch waist, therefore, I was was fine. I, I think, you know, my little pushback on this would be, Fitness has certainly become an idol for some as well. And I'm There's not, no doubt and, about that. And I, yep. I think for some people, you know, not looking as chiseled as they want to look is a different kind of spiritual health mm-hmm. than, than the opposite extreme. And I, you know, more often than not, the case is, no, no, you're too fat. You have some control issues. You have some self-discipline issues. You need to do something about this. But – there's also that very small percentage that I'm not in, but I use that small percentage to justify my Krispy Kreme habit to say, you know, we, we can also go too far with this. There's no doubt. And if your physical health is more important than your spiritual health, that's mm. an issue. Yeah. I, I'm going to go ahead and let you know if, if you have never, if you're kind of on the unhealthy side and you've never journeyed to health, um, I did. And I'm going to tell you now that I'm kind of falling from grace, sort of speak, um, trying to get back there. Um, if y'all heard, y'all know what a caged Calvinist is, right? Never well, heard there's, of it. You never heard of it. Yeah. Well, come on back. I'll teach you later. Right. But like, um, there's also a caged fitness guy too. And oftentimes those are the guys who used to not be fit. 
Um, and then they figured out how to lose weight. Wash it. And you figured out, don't you even love yourself? Do you even care about your kids? You're going to die early. Oh my gosh. Is sugar worth more than your family's security? Like you find those people, you know? And the only reason I know is because I had started to become one. And I think the last five years of my life has been the great humbling. Um, so I, I, I will say that once you start down that road, having, I did it alone. That stunk. Like I had no, like somebody speaking into me. So like the, the idea of doing it with someone else in a regards of just accountability and also just keeping your heart in check with it, I think is so important. I think it's really important. What are, um, uh, to kind of close this out and to give people some practical stuff. Um, if anybody has anything, what are some practical apps, tools, things that you thought were beneficial on your weight loss journey that maybe someone else here could be like, Hey, I want that. Uh, I pay for beach body on demand. It's a hundred bucks a year. And for me, that's skin in the game. Uh, when I pay for something, I feel like I better get my money's worth. So that that's one of the reasons I continue to pay it. Otherwise, uh, I have a little bit less skin in the game. Uh, there's another app that Dell and I are just getting started on. Dell, do you have the name of that? Of that yeah, app it's called uh, My Macros Plus, and it looks like very well done. Like I've been piddling around on it all day. What's cool um, about it is you'll be you'll be able to do like you can count your own calories, macros, all that stuff. But there's a group aspect to it to where we can see each other's progress as well so we can encourage each other hey you know end of the day Dell, you got like 400 calories left you need to eat something buddy that kind of stuff so if you if you do if any of y'all do get it friend me delmar pete that's just my username go ahead i don't mind uh so i i think that's a really good app and i think man tim what you said is true buy something i know that's that sounds so like uh like consumeristic but like buy something for me um i like lifting weights i love running um, so I will go buy a nice pair of running shoes and the way I, I'd rather purchase that than insulin, which I'm going to go to either one eventually, you know? So, um, buy, it gets my skin in the game because I, I have a hard time throwing money away and let it sit in the corner. Um, there's one saying though, I want to leave you, even if, even if you don't purchase an app, if you don't buy a shoe or lift a weight, there is one saying that has been my North star every time. And it's just this. Nothing tastes as good as being healthy feels. I agree. Here, here's what? another saying. You don't get the butt you want by sitting on it. <laughs> How about that one? <laughs> Pretty good. Right. And I like that. sponsored by uh, Plexus. So uh, it's a multi-level marketing scheme that I am now involved in. Um, it, it works, guys. It works. It absolutely works. Just All slap right. it on. All right. Uh, thanks, Delmar, for convicting us. Let's yeah. talk about something a little lighter. Hey, Andrew, what's your clergy clip now? Uh, well, Friday morning, I woke up to several text messages and I did not stay up to watch the RNC speeches on Thursday <gasps> night, mostly because I have a center. Actually, Thursday night was the night that the baseball was canceled. So I don't think I, I think yeah, I watched no excuse. I think I watched Harry Potter with my kids on Thursday night, but um, Witchcraft. I, I got an article from the Washington post texted me that says Pence altered a biblical reference, changing Jesus to the American flag in his convention speech. And if you haven't heard the speech yet, um, I'll read a few sure did. Uh, little snippets. But he began to close out the uh, speech with, let us run the race marked out for us. Let us fix our eyes on old glory and all she represents. Let us fix our eyes on this land of heroes and their courage to inspire. Let us fix our eyes on the author and perfecter of our faith and freedom, 
I don't remember the freedom part being in there originally. Mm. Um, and never forget that where the spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. And that means freedom always wins. The Washington Post says, if that seems vaguely familiar, that may be because Pence referred to two different biblical verses in his remarks. On, one is 2 Corinthians 3.17, which according to the New International Version translates, uh, where the spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. The other is Hebrews 12.1 and 2, which reads, therefore, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, let us throw off every encumbrance and sin that so easily entangles. Let us run with endurance the race set out before us. Let us fix our eyes in Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith. I thought it was really neat that the Washington Post um, just printed scripture straight up. Know, right? in, right. in the, That's that, that 4D you know, chess, man. There you go. <laughs> Boom. <laughs> Take that. We got... We, we, yeah. we got scripture printed in the WAPO, but <laughs> well, what's so funny is like my, my timeline on my social feeds was we have a vice president quoting scripture. And then like in my head, I'm like, wait a second. We have a vice president kind of twisting. We scripture. have a vice president butchering scripture. Yeah. And what's what just cracked me up, you know, when we were kind of having our little roundtable before we started recording, Frank said, so Andrew, wh- wh- like, where are you going with this? Like, what's what's your point? And I just said, I thought it was really funny that here last week we talked about the uh, controversy around the, the the word according to gen z which was not in the washington post nor should it be you know it, it's not on that same scale but nevertheless a bunch of white evangelical boomers got really really mad like really angry that a group of people would translate scripture in such a way that you know might have gone too far to reach out to uh, Gen Z, and those same people are now thrilled. Wow, way to go, Mr. Vice President. I'm so glad that you completely took scripture out of context, used it to make a point that is nowhere near what Paul was talking about, and uh, we're clapping now. It just, it struck me as funny. Do you guys have American flags in your worship center? (laughs) Uh, I hid mine. Um, we, we have one. We do the, have one. The campus that we just the, – the, the campus we inherited, um, the sanctuary had an American flag and a Christian flag. Yeah, we had that um, too. And, how, uh, we- how weird is the Christian flag? So weird. <laughs> that should just be um, – but, but the first thing I did was um, I grabbed those flags and I put it in a storage closet. I was just like – like before anyone walks into this building and starts getting mad of like the paint choices and the carpet changes we're going to make. The one thing I don't want to have an argument about is whether or not if we're keeping the flags on stage. And obviously like, I'm just not a fan of, of American symbolism in a worship service. I don't know. Like I'm also maybe call me weird, but I'm not a big fan of like, um, patriotic songs on july 4th or memorial day just like in singing them in church rubs me the wrong way man it feels yep. weird i it worked at weird. a church that had one of the biggest fireworks displays in the area and that was their big thing like fourth of july weekend we're gonna celebrate freedom wow. the freedom in christ and the freedom as americans <laughs> and so we would say amen and then we would go outside and blow stuff up in the sky was it Jesus. amen or hey man? It was a combination. <laughs> I do think it that was like, a combination. Del, you're, you're in hey man territory. You are in hey man territory. I am in hey man territory, buddy. There, there's a, a Christian school here that um, I would speak in their chapel occasionally, and they would um, they every chapel they pledge allegiance to the flag, the Bible, and the Christian flag. Every day of my life growing up, that's what we did. Yeah, me too, me, man. 
does that mean does that like same. Feel so it's weird a whole different all? kind of me too movement it does now <laughs> yeah. <laughs> oh, my God. Yeah. oh no hindsight yeah, christian flag it does feel savior. weird now yep for whose kingdom it stands when they crucified. You know, in the real, in a real again. tangible sense, like in the real tangible sense, pastors have to ask the question, like in your service, where are you going to put your allegiance? You know, I mean, I mean, we're literally having a service and the point of worshiping God is saying we are, we are sojourners in this land. This is uh, we, we submit to this government, but this is not our highest authority. Why would I want to bring that authority? Um, you know, I'm in a military town, and up until about three and a half years ago, we had a patriotic service. And then finally, um, our pastor came in, our senior pastor, and he's like, listen, I, he, he was feeling the same conviction we've been talking about. And, and we kind of moved away from that. And that was tough because, like, we're like, there's an Air Force base, an Army base, two and a half, three miles from us, you know? So, like, people can get the idea, oh, they don't love the country, but it's like, that's not it. That's just not. That's not the place. I don't go to the dentist for a pedicure. You know, like <laughs> it's the same concept. Where, where do you get your pedicures, Dell? I was going to ask. Uh, actually, my wife. No. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so, uh, and my, you know, the, the whole reason I brought this article up is again, and it's first of all, the vice president didn't write his own speech. There's no. there's that right. cont- to contend with as well, but. We, we want Christian leaders. When we have Christian leaders, we're thrilled that we have Christian leaders. But then at what point are you just pandering? And I, I, I don't know Mike Pence. I've, I've never met him. But everything that I can tell about him is that he is very sincere in his faith. And yet I, I watch that speech on YouTube after I get this article and I think this is just pandering. This is just going out of your way to pander for a certain vote that, oh, by the way, you were already going to get. So I, I, I actually, what are you doing? I, I don't know if it's – I'm more and more convinced that it's maybe not actually pandering because I had that same reaction. But if you study a little bit of um, – I've, I've been recently – I did a series on the kingdom of heaven, which led me to a lot of reading. And right now I'm going through a book called Jesus and John Wayne. And um, there's some other stuff you can read. If you look up Christian nationalism, um, I actually think that's more what we're seeing. We're, I, I think we're seeing a kind of a resurgence of, um, I think it was at its height in the 40s and 50s, Christian nationalism, which we are kind of the grandchildren of in our age bracket. And so it's almost like we're so disconnected from the roots of it that it's hard for us to recognize it when we when it's being displayed in front of us. I do probably think there is an element of pandering but i'm i want to give you know I, I don't know that he's in his mind actively thinking how here's how i'm really going to pander to my voting base i think he probably at least in some regard like is kind of along you know is is in that camp of christian nationalism and um one of the most interesting things i discovered recently in this kind of kingdom of heaven stuff is the idea of a gospel in the Roman Empire was like it was very political, um, and there were inscriptions that are found. I just pulled one up here. Uh, there's an inscription found in a government building dating from six BC, and this, you know, it, it, it talks all about the Caesar Augustus and how they, you know, he was basically God in the flesh. He was going to bring peace on earth. He was going to ma- manifest this kingdom that would have no end. All very similar language to how we talk about Jesus and his gospel and his kingdom, which is why when you started talking about 
the kingdom of God and Jesus as Lord, you are going to get fed to the lions. Um, and, and frankly, I do, th- I, I get nervous when I hear this sort of Christian nationalism talk, because it sounds way too Roman to me. It's, it sounds way too Roman empire Caesar worshipy to me. And I actually think that's, I think it's pretty dangerous well, for our the, faith. The interesting thing is, you know, here we have a group of evangelical pastors. I mean, statistically, all of us would be in the ilk, and I don't know. We haven't talked about, hey, who are you voting for? But statistically speaking, we are in the assumed voter base that he's addressing. And yet right. here we are going, ew, like yeah, that feels cringy at least. That feels slimy. That feels, yeah, that feels, you know, icky. I, I, I don't like that. And uh, you were talking, Jeff, when we were kind of roundtable, and you said, you know, it was kind of the same people that criticized. President Obama for singing um, Amazing Grace are the ones that are now praising Vice President Pence. And it's just this hmm. – I think in, in a lot of ways we're just in an era where if my t- if my team says it, I'm going to like it no matter what they say. Yeah. And if the other team says something, I'm going to dislike it no matter what they say, mm-hmm. which is a whole other set of issues. I mean there's a whole lot of cognitive bias happening. Absolutely. You know, you're, you're looking for what to agree with. But Frank – or whoever asked, do you have a flag in your sanctuary? I, um, I've had a couple interesting experiences with that. In uh, when I was in Florida, uh, our church had a uh, flag in the courtyard, um, big you know big grounds, kind of historic Southern Baptist looking building, um, and we had a courtyard with a flag. And one day it was missing, and an older gentleman came in super angry and asked, you know, what happened to the flag? And he made the remark that it was probably some Muslims who came and took it down. And so there wow. is that kind, and it was, he like walked into the middle of a staff meeting, like super mad. Um, but so that to me, part of what somebody like Pence is doing is they're stoking those emotional responses. Absolutely. Yeah. Um, which is part of that history of, especially in, in white evangelicalism of kind of stoking the fear of what's going to happen if we lose this place of, uh, in our culture. And I think that's dangerous because it just takes your eyes off of, you know, I mean, to, to quote the actual verse, it takes your eyes off of the actual author and perfecter of our faith. Not Did, old glory. We're not, not supposed old to glory, fix, which also glory. Uh, was my favorite clothing brand as a kid from old Navy, the t-shirts, uh, or maybe it was Walmart. It was Walmart. I get mixed up on this show. But you're kind of you. I think, man, you were just like repeatedly hitting the nail on the head with where is everyone's God right now? It's it's very interesting. Both the Christian and the pagan right now serve the same God in many respects, being politics. And I think you're going to see that really heavily played out in the next couple of months. I know um, at our church, our pastor's taking November, and he's actually given it to the, our preaching team, myself, and he's told us to come up with the whole series and everything. Um, and I, I think we're just really going to go back at, at, at our church to the mechanics of the gospel. Because like in crisis, when things are, are going crazy, they don't need to come to church and us preach from, um, from the newspaper. You know, like they need to hear us preach the gospel. That's where we find our encouragement. And that's where we encourage our people to find their identity. So I I know for me, that's a little pivot that we're even making around here in light of just all of this. You know, in my two cents with the Pence thing, 
his boss got up in front of everybody and said, today I'm going to read from two Corinthians. You know, so, I mean, like, True. like hey, the bar. Now, to be fair, bar, that's actually the way that a lot of charismatics say, reference a, a that. Lot, a lot of people. Yeah, but Trump calls himself a Presbyterian. So, <laughs> you know, like <laughs> last time I checked, they weren't exactly on the charismatic spectrum. I'm just saying there's there a lot of Christians who no, will I say one you. Timothy, yeah, two Timothy. Yeah. yeah. He also hires a lot of people from Regent University, so he's got. <laughs> well, I'm just, just saying, like he's yeah. he he gets a lot of. There's a lot of charismatics on his staff. Yeah. yeah, that's true. That is true. I had an older I had an older gentleman when I first came here. Like you know, so that happened in Florida with the anger about the flag being taken away, and then we had a school use the building for a play or something, a Christian school, and they moved the flags off the stage and forgot to put them back. Oh. And, and so this same gentleman was super mad now because it was like strike yeah. two. Yep. And um, and he assumed that we had done it. And so we actually had a long conversation with the senior pastor at the time, me and the other associate pastor. Both are kind of in the same theological headspace. So what I'm saying, he probably would pretty much agree with uh, in terms of like the discomfort of sometimes even having the flag in the sanctuaries feels weird to me and singing patriotic songs. I'm kind of with you, Frank. And he actually turned to us and basically accused us of being draft dodgers and like, do you even love your country? And so when I got here, I had sort of that recent stuff and I wasn't going to, I wasn't going to bother with the flags. Like they were in the sanctuary and like, Probably my second month here, uh, one of the one of the guys with a lot of influence in the church, who's actually a seminary prof, and I didn't know him that well, but now I know him pretty well. He came up to me and said, "Hey, uh, what do you think about getting rid of the flags in the sanctuary?" And I was like, "I'm all about it, but like, do you mind having those conversations with people? Because I don't think I have the relational chips yet to have those conversations." This will kind of tie into our later topic, but. Yeah, so so he basically handled that, and we haven't had him in there since. So, yeah. my first Christmas here, when we put up the Christmas tree, it went where the flag was, and so I rolled up the flag and kind of hit it, and didn't say anything once Christmas was over. And so, it's it's been two years and eight months since then, and no one said anything yet. So I think I'm good. It and took ours six months. I, I removed the flag uh, Christmas and May came around, which is getting close to Memorial Day. And some people started asking, when is the flag? Um, and it's it's, it's a weird tightrope because, you know, we, yeah. we want to uh, on Veterans Day, we always have one of our veterans pray. We, you know, we, we want to honor those who have served. We we love our country. I think a vast majority of people in our church in our church, you know, politically, we're fairly diverse. Yeah, you are. And, and, and yet I think we would still say that no matter what side of the aisle somebody falls on politically, we're a church full of people that could, would consider themselves to be patriotic. But is that a is that a leave it at the door kind of thing? And it's, it's a weird tightrope to walk. Right. I think there is um, uh, a level of pragmatism that we see from Pence in the sense of or not. Sorry, not from Pence. But from the people, Andrew, that you were talking about, Holly, the same people who loved Pence, made fun of the Gen Z or Bash Gen Z article thing, where it's like, man, it, as lo- it, it, if Pence and Trump are accomplishing what we want, then therefore they can say whatever they want. And um, and I know Jeff and I were talking about this before the show, but I, I just – I guess my concern, and I don't have an answer for this, and maybe this is not in the scope for today's episode, but like um, I, I'm seeing a growing number of evangelical Christians 
or let me not make it as as vague as that, but like people in our churches that have allowed pragmatism to dictate how they believe and live as opposed to like being consistent with the principles of the kingdom. Right. And I think like, this is a clear example of this where like, if you want to argue that um, calling God cap G is blasphemous, I can maybe walk with you to the extent that there is reverence to God's name that needs to be had. But if you're not willing to say, exchanging Jesus for the flag or old glory or whatever is not as blasphemous, then there is, there's this, there's a cognitive dissonance that actually creates fear in me that like, where else is this going to overflow? And, 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 and so I was going to say this, like, I, I was talking to someone about this at the end of the day, I don't care who you vote for, who you support vote for however you feel led to vote for but like, let's not over-spiritualize it and think this is the godly solution simply because that, like, that's the team you're on. Because that is when we are allowing ourselves to, to be like – I mean, I said I wasn't going to bring him up, but it's on my mind. Jerry Falwell Jr., who just said, like, I was here to make – Liberty and ac- uh, a great academic school to bring it financially profitable and to have good sports, not to be a moral example. Like we have leaders like that because of pragmatism. And then, and then, but, but we, we are selective with our more, more morality and, and our, um, and our consistency in upholding what is and isn't blasphemous. You know, I think those are my fears is, is how do we then pastor our people when we have, when on one hand, people are criticizing the Gen Z Bible and then people are criticizing or not criticizing Pence. We, we lose all credibility. If, you know, if, if we're picking and choosing like that, then, then the church loses all credibility of their witness. And, and this is way deeper. You know, I, what, what the vice president said, he, he said, it, you know, whatever, it's not a big deal, but just as, as a Christian subculture that we live in, we are supposed to be salt and light. And we lose every bit of credibility that we have when we are just trying to claw and claw and claw to get a win no matter what, at no matter what cost, no matter who we align ourselves with. And that's not what I'm saying the, the vice president did. It's just – it speaks to a much larger issue. Well, I and I think we have a problem with being okay with the means you know, or the ends justifying the means. And clearly in the New Testament, we are not – we don't fight the same battle as the rest of the world. Um, you know, our, our enemies are not flesh and blood. We don't use the same weapons. And I think words are weapons in our day and age. And so you, you, you have to use those wisely. But I, I think a principle that, uh, an older, uh, gentleman told me one time was that, you know, we, as pastors, I think, especially this applies, you know, Christians need to have part of our role in the world is to be a prophetic witness to the, to the larger, broader world. And when you look at prophets, um, let's take, you know, I would say John the Baptist fits in that category, but when you look at even old Testament prophets, they have, um, a prophetic, uh, distance from the influences of their culture. And this is why it does matter. Your morality does matter as a pastor and as a Christian, uh, because you cannot play by the rules of the world and then try to speak prophetically into that world. You, you, you just can't. And this is why it matters that, you know, we, we keep our moral guard up and, you know, live according to the morals that Christ has laid out for us, not in a legalistic way, but as a way to say our allegiances are in a different place so that then we can say the hard prophetic things that need to be said without, you know, sort of 
having all those things intertwined and co-mingled. Mm. This is good, guys. Uh, let's dive into our main discussion today. Um, how do we make changes in an older and established church as a young pastor? As fast uh, as possible. <laughs> just kidding. So Jeff, Tim, you guys are young pastors. Andrew, you're middle age. How do you guys? <laughs> what the heck? Andrew, I think Andrew and I are pretty close to the same age. I'm about to be 38. Oh, never uh, mind. Yeah, <laughs> never mind. You just so, look really old. Yeah. This is what it is. So yeah, I mean, like this is literally like you might be teaching um, Delmar and I something because we are in this like I, actually Delmar, I don't know what the demographics of your church, but like for all except well, my my last church that I was at literally funded Bibles for the Civil War. What? Oh, wow. <laughs> like I, I read the I read the ledger Which handwritten. Side? We. <laughs> Oh, uh, we were from Prosperity, okay. South Carolina. So, uh-huh. <laughs> yeah, we literally. But, wow. So I feel that's you. It's a whole different flag conversation. <laughs> oh my gosh, it really is. But in, um, in, in their high school, yeah. they actually vote people most likely to secede. It's a very different. <laughs> oh my it's gosh. a very different thing. All right, guys, let's, let's get back on this, on this boat here. How do I, um, you know. In, 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 if I ever were to venture out away from Epicos and decide to take a position at a church in Safety Harbor, Florida, to a congregation where the youngest person is He's coming for you, dude. No, wow. I, that that'd be awesome. We'd hang out no, all the time. That no, would be great. I mean, literally, no. I'm, and I'm being completely transparent. When I hung sure. out with Andrew and Tim, I was like, "Oh, I could do this one day." Like, I like, I wasn't like I was like maybe this. You know, I used to like kind of shun, not shun it, but like thought maybe that's not for me. But like. Andrew and Tim are cool dudes, you know, shepherding people, you know, that could be their grandparents. And, and I would, you know, I'm just curious of like, not just shepherding people who are older than you, but more specifically, how do you make those changes when I'm, I'm guessing from all three of you, there were some golden caps. There were some big things that were like, like we've done this for years. Like I know one thing, I'm not a big fan of traditional Sunday schools and I know churches like that love Sunday school. Like what do you, how do you make those changes what has been changes you've made? Where has been the folly that's happened? I want to know, and I'm sure other people want to know too. I sure. think the best thing that ever happened to me was the the pastors before me just really sucked. Like they were bad. <laughs> um, so the story, you know, a successful senior pastor retired. They hired somebody who supposedly was given a thorough background check um, by by a higher up within our denomination. And it just did not work out. And the higher up was like, whoops, my bad. Yeah, I didn't really vet him as well as I said I did. Wow. And so uh, that pastor was there for 10 months. And then uh, they had a um, interim pastor who like signed a year-long interim contract. And after six months, they're like, nope, we got to dissolve this contract. This is bad. Um, And then there was another interim pastor who fell and broke his hip because old people. And so by the time I got here, I was the fourth pastor. What happened with the hip? Did he heal? Like what? uh, He's fine. He actually joined our church. Okay, Um, good. um, but, But so it was a situation where there were three or four um, within a five-year period, different people at the helm. And so step one was show up and be consistent. So you're saying the bar was very suck. low for you. Yeah, it was basically like, sh- like, can you last six months? Okay, boom, check one. Um, can can the people like you? Because the one guy lasted 10 months, wow. but the people didn't like him. So endear, endear yourself to the people first. And once you're endeared to them, well, then you can start to be like, you know, we we can change this. But also kind of like, Am I changing this 
because this is my preference? Like, am right. I am I That's changing? A big question for you. Am I changing the service order? Am I changing, you know, the way we do this? Am I moving the flags? What you know, whatever it is. Am I doing right. this because this is my preference? And when I was a 24-year-old seminary student, I dreamed of one day being a senior pastor and it was going to be like this. And so I want it to look like it like it did in my daydreams and doodles. And so I'm going to make it match up to what I dreamed it would be like. Or is this something that God is is leading me to lead our church in. And if that's the case, well, then hopefully you've got elders, you've got lay leaders that are in on the discernment with you. And then it's just not you charging hell with a, with a squirt gun. It's you have people that, you know, you have endeared yourself to the people, mm -hmm. but you also have the people who are speaking for you and making choices with you and kind of can cast the same vision that you can cast. So I'd say, you know, become beloved as soon as you can so whatever it takes to endear yourself to people do that and then they're gonna get behind whatever big changes have to be made see i stepped into a very different role because i've been at my church for coming up on 11 years now um but you know nine and a half of those years i was the youth pastor and it wasn't until last year that i stepped into the lead pastor role and stepping into that role everyone looked and said all right tim what are we going to change so i had a culture that I was coming into that wasn't necessarily holding on to the 25 years of tradition because our church is 25 and a half years old now. They were saying, we know that if we don't change, we will not survive. So they were looking to me for change. So the first thing I wanted to do was get my leadership team on board with what are some changes we need to make. So what we did was we read through Tom Rainer's Who Moved My Pulpit, uh, leading change in the church. It's a very short read. If you haven't read it, read it, get it in the hands of your leadership chain, your leadership team. That's uh, Tom Rainer's Who Moved My Pulpit. And one principle that Andrew already hit on was if you, and this is a quote from the book, if you love change more than you love people, you've already failed as a leader. The, the idea is not change for the sake of change, but change to move the church in the direction it needs to be moved towards. So for us, what we wanted to do, and we took some of the principles of Tom Rainer's book and put them into practice. And his first step was identify low-hanging fruit. So what are some low-hanging fruits that you can tackle right away? Because what that'll do is it'll, it'll, it'll help with two groups of people. It helps get the people who are already excited about change ready because they will see that um, change is possible. And then it helps the naysayers who are like, there's no way. When they see that there's change possible, it slowly gets mm -hmm. them onto your side saying, okay, I think we can start to change this thing. So we had graphics, logos, uh, mission, vision, very, you know, surface level stuff, nothing foundational, but just the, the the visual look, painting, updating a few things here and there. And people started to buy into this change culture. And then I don't know if I should say this, but praise God for COVID because oh, it allowed us to do things that we would have never done because people knew we had to change. I was just about to say that the other really good way to make changes is wait till there's a global pandemic. Yeah. And then you have the built in excuse of, do you know what? We're, I'm going to preach from a bar table and a stool now because that makes more sense for the camera and more people are watching online than are watching in person. And so for the sake of ministering to the people that are watching online, right. we're going to do this. Well, we changed communion before COVID, and that was a big deal in my church because we've done communion by intinction since day Which one. Which is disgusting. And we had a lot of people who were like, Tim, I can't. 
I had people who would go to another church on communion Sunday because their immune systems were already compromised and they didn't feel comfortable doing the rip and dip method. So we changed that. And then COVID hit. And I was like, well, I guess I could have just waited three months and yeah. no one would have complained. No one would have been mad about changing community because, because my first elders meeting, like I brought in the Jesus shot glasses because we're also a rip and dip or we were thanks a lot, Corona. Yep. Um, and so it was our, you know, it, just a thought. And it was like, no, we're, you know, this is part of how we do things as a church. I was like, okay, that was like a me thing. Like my preference was that I don't really, you know, when I read the different accounts, the last supper, the only person dipping was Judas. So maybe that's not who we should be emulating, whatever. Um, (laughs) But our church wasn't quite ready to make that change. And then Corona happened. And guess what? Nobody has any issue with us never doing communion the same way again. Hmm. Yeah. Yeah. I think one of the things when it comes to change is it actually is a little bit lightweight loss. Mm. Um, you got, it's the little goals. If you go ahead and say, I want to be skinny fit version, you'll never get there. You'll get right. so depressed and burn out. You have to be like, no, I'm cutting out the the sweet tea. Right. The low hanging and, fruit. And, right. Yeah. It's exactly what you said. It's, it's, I'm going to cut out that little thing. Um, I know. And, and then also I do, and I hate to sound, I don't hope this doesn't sound like too political, but I mean, there is something to be said about being creative and a little savvy. And when you make change, um, my last church I was at, they did not have, um, what we would call contemporary, which is basically like Shane and Shane K love. You know what I'm saying? We didn't have that. It was just some hymns and a piano. And, and we kind of, we knew we needed it. The, the senior pastor knew we needed it. I felt that, but the people weren't ready, but there was one person who was louder than everyone else. You know, what I'm talking about like that. Like how there's, how am I going to get around this person? Um, so I ended up approaching that person's granddaughter and put her on the worship team. She's not going to speak bad about her granddaughter. (laughs) And then she became one of the biggest advocates for contemporary music in the whole church because her granddaughter, like I said, that's that gray space. I'm okay. Opera is justified. I don't know, but I know this today we end up having um, our services greatly changed. And I think there's something else to be said about with that. Um, and I think was it Andrew said, you can't, you can't go to where you want to go. You have to go to where the people are ready to go. I knew one guy came in, um, he was in a country town and he had a youth group with a big budget and he was a, a an Atlanta youth pastor. Now, if you know anything from any minister who comes out of Atlanta, he literally is in his own bubble. And he came to Newberry, South Carolina. He completely ripped every couch out of the youth room, all the ping pong tables out of the youth room, pulled out the five, the four square, everything, lined it with rows of chairs and said, I'm going to preach to you for 30 minutes every Wednesday. And, uh, and he invited me to come with my youth group because he didn't even have well, he wasn't even there in long enough time to recruit a worship team. So he used my youth group's worship team and I'll never forget him leading worship. He pulls this kid out on stage. Who's got glow sticks taped to him. And in the dark, he does this dubstep dance. Meanwhile, I look at this youth pastor's kids who actually had showed up to go to his service. One kid had a full bucket cowboy hat on with boots and he's sitting here watching this kid dance to glow sticks and dubstep. And uh, that youth pastor was at that church about six months because he tried to take them where he was, Atlanta worship, and not, you know, um, you know, more along the lines of like Garth Brooks, Vince Gill worship, you know. So I, I try think, not to worship Garth Brooks personally. Although oh, that man. face mic, though, is good. Um, yeah. yeah. He always has <laughs> really that face good. mic on. 
So I, I think a lot of this, you know, Frank, when you said your example, you know, I don't really, I'm not really into Sunday school. What we can't do is make our preferences more relevant than the preferences of our people. Um, you know, we can't say on in, with one breath, uh, you know, like, hey, well, you're just not choosing preferences, you know, that you like. And so you're but all the while, what we're basically doing is just putting our preferences in because we have the the place to do it. So I also think, though, you have to be really attuned to the culture of your church. I think you I think in an older established church, you need to be uh, more prone to go slower rather than fast. Um, that needs to be probably your default, but there are some times when you can do quick change, fast changes. And I do think there is a window of a short window of opportunity when you first get to a new church. You know, if you're coming in from out of town, you've been through this long interview process, they're feeling great about bringing you in. You know, at that point, you're the, you're the kind of, you're seen as like an outside expert almost. And so uh, you can overdo it, but there are some things you can change fairly quickly. And I would say, you know, Tim, that book is great. And the low hanging fruit are those things that you can do quickly and easily. So an example from us, when we, when I got here, they had been without a pastor for a year and uh, they had just, the elders had just been preaching sermons the best they could. And they were doing a pretty good job, loving the people, shepherding the people. Our denominational leadership was stepping into that. But one of the things that had happened is they had kind of gotten to this place where that, where announcements were, just does anybody have anything they want to share? And they had become so insider focused that it was like a weird family meeting being there. So one thing I would say, if you can, when you are interviewing and going to a new place, see if you can build in one, if not more weeks of you, when you get there, actually observing what's already currently going on. Um, when I got here, I was able to just be here for the first week just to observe. I didn't preach. I didn't do anything. I just kind of walked around and saw what things were going on. And then I was able to say like, Hey, I noticed this and I, you know, maybe we could change that. But one of the first changes I made is I got rid of that announcement time and uh, we actually instituted communion every week. But those two things were some of the early fast changes I made, but then I didn't make many other changes that were other than painting walls and uh, which actually can, I think can earn you some, some, uh, some grace. If you can, take what they already have and make it look better. You know, you, you, you get the yard taken care of, you get the built, you know, walls patched things that they have stopped seeing. Um, the men's bathroom in this basement where I, my office is, I mean, it was worse than any of the basements I saw when I was in bands that were pretty rough. Like there was the, the men's stall, a uh, half of it was plywood. Um, <laughs> it was pretty bad. So that was a, f one of the first big projects we did. We, we, uh, we redid the bathrooms to make them look good. And, and of course it has to come with vision. Um, but I think the most important thing, especially with, there are going to be some landmine issues, some hot button things that you need to really prayerfully, you know, ask the Holy spirit to show you, you need to try to find some folks in the church who've been there for a long time, who will help you see those, uh, because you can step in some landmines really quick. Uh, one of them for me was banners, you know, the big banners that were. And what you'll find out with all of those is that uh, it usually comes down to um, some story, some backstory that you don't know. And so the story with the banners was it was a guy named Dave's wife who had made them by hand and she passed away from cancer and it was super tragic and it was really hard. It had been it had been a while, 
but no one else knew how to do that. And so they were falling into disrepair. And so thankfully, you know, God gave me the grace to not just be like, hey, let's tear these things down and and didn't think to ask, you know, who's who's behind the banners. And I actually sat with Dave for multiple hours one day and just added, I just asked him to tell me the story. And, you know, then I was able to say like, do you think it would be okay if we tried some newer type, you know, banners that we can get printed? And, and then he became one of the, you know, the biggest allies I had and any other change I wanted to make, he was all on board. So you just really have to care about people. You know, you really just have to care about people more than the changes. And uh, I think it's the nine marks podcast, uh, the pastor's talk podcast or one of some podcasts I listen to, but I would recommend that one. Uh, they talk a lot about, you know what? It's revitalize and replant, which is actually with Tom Rainer. Um, and he talks about not underestimating or not overestimating what you can do in three years and also not underestimating what you can do in five years. Uh, and so for me, I'm right at that three year mark and I can be a little entrepreneurial. And so for me, it feels like I haven't changed that much. But a helpful practice for me is to sit down once in a while and just make a list of all the things I've changed or even just walk through the church building and make a list of all the things I've changed or think through it. And it's a long list. We've changed a lot of little things that to me don't feel like much. But to somebody who's been going to that church for 10, 20 years and it's been the same way for a long time, you're changing a lot of things for them. And nobody likes to be surprised. You know, you wouldn't want to walk into your house and have the couch on a different wall. Uh, you know, it would it would freak you out a little bit. So, you know, you just think for folks to walk into their beloved church building that many of them help fund and build. And they remember the guy that built it who passed away. And they have all this nostalgic stuff in there for you to just come in and move things around or change things. It really can be a shock to them. And so you got to love people well before you, you know, before you're able to change stuff. But you're going to have to change stuff. One thing that I said when I came on staff here was if my goal is to be here for 30 years, which means if we're going to do a full 180, that means essentially I only need to change 6% a year unless if you figure out, you know, interest, that doesn't make sense, compound, I don't whatever, 6% a year for 30 years is a 180. And so if if my goal is to get this, you know, to, to change things, and we didn't need to do a 180, we maybe need to do a 30 or 40 degree correction. So it wasn't... It, if you come in and you think, well, by this time next year, we need to have triple the membership and the budget needs to be in a whole lot better shape. So we're going to come in and just, you know, burn it all to the ground and start over. Well, that's going to lose you everybody that you already have. But if you come in and you're honoring, hey, here's what was built here. You know, the the congregation when I got here was was a small congregation. And yet we're in a facility that no church of our size should be able to afford because of the faithfulness of that small congregation and, and what was done for, for years before. And so instead of saying, Oh man, I can't believe you guys are still doing this, 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 and this. Um, I, I made the decision to kind of come in and honor what had been done before me and be okay with not loving everything right away and just kind of slow, slow cooker the, the whole thing because you don't need to get everything changed within the first couple of years, especially if you've got the mindset that until God calls me away, this is where I'm going to be. So I'm assuming that God is going to have me be in this place for the next three decades. So I've got a whole lot of time to make the changes necessary. 
Yeah, and it's yeah, it's really not about good. you or any other single person. It's about the church. Yeah, and I would say like to go back to your example, Frank. You know, you talk about getting rid of something like Sunday school. What you have to do, especially with folks who have been used to that system for a long time, and I'm going to pick on Sunday school because it's it's easy. Um, Sunday school is a means to an end, right? The end of Sunday school is you maybe could say theological training, biblical training, discipleship. So if you can break that apart for people and help them see, I'm not saying that we're getting rid of training our people biblically or training them theologically. I'm just saying that there might be a means to that end that's a little more relevant and helpful than that particular one was. Um, Because they're coming from a time when for them, that was the means to that end. And so when you say, can we get rid of Sunday school and do small groups, what they're here, they don't know what small groups are like if that's their church. So they have no reference to know what they're going, what's going to happen in small groups. So when you say, let's stop doing Sunday school and start doing small groups, they're hearing, let's get rid of discipleship and do this new thing that I don't know what it is. And, and so actually, it's it, it many times is actually their faithfulness that will have you, um, that, that will have them react that way. It's not that they're being faithless, it's they're being faithful. You just have to do the work of helping them see. So one thing we did is we... We um, we we made the change of doing Sunday school for a season and we took a break during like the Thanksgiving, Christmas, New Year's um, uh, break. And I did like a like a preview small group, which is what we ended up moving everything to. And that way, people, you know, the people that came there then became the advocates saying, no, actually, we're we're doing a lot of the similar things we were doing in Sunday school. We're just now doing them in this group setting and it's just different. So I think that's what you got to break stuff apart for people a lot of times and help them see what you're actually trying to accomplish. Yeah, I think that's good. I think you also have to know that uh, no matter how low the fruit might be, uh, you will be criticized for said change. <laughs> Thank you for that close up, Cam Andrew. Uh, any, any, any amount of change is going to bring on criticism. And another great quote from, from Tom's book is, if you are not being criticized, you are not leading such is the reality of leadership, such is the reality of change leadership. Criticism is, is just going to be a part of it. Yeah, I mean, I know, I mean, the, the, the amount of change I've had to deal with, I feel like we're such low risk change. Like it was the stuff in youth ministries, like changing names, you know, ch- changing up the camps you go to. And yeah, that's going to upset some people. But like, um, it's different when you talk about legacies of churches and like, you know, um, you know, there's a certain class that a Sunday school teacher was teaching for 20 years. And now you're saying we're going to do home groups now. Like that's a huge. Well, you have to help people. Change. You have to help yeah. people separate the actual legacy was that you trained people in the faith, not that you ran a program in their mind. Those two things are conflated. And so you can say we're going to continue the legacy. We're just going to use a different platform to do it on. But that'll take you a while. Yeah, I mean, um, you know, one thing as I'm as I'm in this building, this building that I'm in right now is like 50 years old, and like similar to like what some of you guys' churches, it has people in there, like the the, the congregation that was here before, the, the youngest person was 65. And one thing I've noticed as I walk around this building is there's these small little plaques on different things, like the sound booth has a plaque that says "In memory of so and so" or the pulpit was donated by so there's an organ, a giant organ in our sanctuary and on the organ cover, it's a nameplate of someone that used to go to this church. And I'm just thinking about how like callous am I of like on September 12th, we're gutting this entire building and just like throwing stuff in dumpsters. 
but I think about the fact that there's this like legacy of individuals who like this sound booth meant something to someone because someone was probably turning the knobs for decades. And, and the idea of like, we're just going to dump it all and turn into a digital you know, system. Like, I don't know what that means for them because luckily none of those people come to my church, but imagine coming to a situation where this is the church you're going to be in and now you're trying to make this change. It is going to be difficult. I think the overall thing I'm hearing from all of you guys is like relationships need to be the precursor before you make any actual change. Like you have to have the relational equity. You have to be able to cast that vision. And when you earn the right to, to have their hearts, then you earn the right to change things. And I think like, the the just like Delmar wants to bring us keep bringing it up it's like weight loss it takes a long time like and it's and that's the hard part about like ministry is that patience is not a thing that a lot of us have uh, an overwhelming amount of and so to to be able to take the time to say I'm going to have um, a lot of meetings with this deacon I'm going to be willing to sit down and and sit in this Sunday school group for a while and and process these conversations with people over the scope of time and like Andrew said I love it like six percent every year will equal to 180 in, in, in three decades like that's great obviously people like me is like I want the 180 to happen next month so how do we how do we get there and I think for us as younger younger pastors who have often worked in settings where it's very fast paced and change can happen very quickly, we need to realize if we're entering into congregations that are a bit older than ourselves, a more established, older congregations, that mindset needs to be throttled down and be very, very intentional. And I, and I, I don't know. I appreciate this because I definitely think I, as I'm pastoring some older people in my congregation and telling them like, hey, you may have been at a campus where there was live preaching and now being at my campus, it's completely simulcast. That's a conversation that we're going to need to slowly develop and, and, and process because this is going to be a big change for the way you've probably ever have done church, you know? So guys, this is great. Um, really quickly, I want to answer the question of the day. Um, it's not controversial unless you want it to be. I think this is going to be the least controversial moment of our entire show today. Um, <laughs> does pineapple belong on pizza? Yes. No. 100% yes. Whoa. Yes. Yes. Absolutely. Oh, yes. Oh, Tim, A good Hawaiian. Listen, so, so pizza is not prejudiced about what toppings can go on. So it. if you're just listening to the audio format, you might not be able to recognize the voices. However, the same people who had no problem with the Gen Z, Gen Z uh, <laughs> devotional also believe that pineapple does not belong on pizza. So Thank you, Frank. And, me and Tim do not believe. So you're wrong twice? Belongs. I mean, wow. <laughs> is that what you're saying? I guess I, that's what it is. It's it's a sanctification thing. Well, the closer you are to the image of Jesus that we are called to be, the more accepting you are of diversity you in glory. your pizza. Old glory. <laughs> glory, oh Jesus. Yes. Interchangeable. Same thing. I think meat and veggies are the only things that belong in pizza. Agreed. Okay, but you like, a you like tomato, tomato a fruit? But tomato is yeah. a fruit, so, so I mean, to say that... So you don't put cheese on your pizza? I... Uh, you just said meat and cheese. Mm. You said meat and cheese. I just don't. Hold on, is, is it a flavor thing I or a like texture thing? I like pineapples, but not on. Pizza. I love a Hawaiian oh, pizza. I like cold pineapples. Oh my not I like thin crust. Like give me, give, give me, me pineapple, ham, cheese, yeah. and sauce on a cracker. That's how thin I want that. White white sauce with with um chicken and. Pineapple I, on a pizza? I eat the pineapple oh for all the pizza. I made I made pizza last night Listen, with Publix we, one dough. thing we can you all can agree get on dough though. from the deli and toss it yourself. Oh, one thing we so can all good. agree on: 
when you get a pizza with pineapple cheese and that meat on it, I don't care if you're from Canada, it's ham. Oh, we all it's know not it's Canadian. ham. Stop calling sure. it Canadian bacon. Yep, sir. It's For ham. Sure. It's ham. Well, Agreed. But, but yeah. here's my thing. I think this is my hiccup. Because someone last night, I, I had someone over and uh, I happened to buy like an apple pie. And we were talking about like apples in other places other than like just straight up. And someone says they put an apple with cheese in a sandwich. And that sounded really gross to me. So I think my hiccup oh. is fruit, other than tomatoes apparently. Fruit and cheese sound weird together. Dude, you need to get on the bougie well, life because apple Frank, and cheese is where it's at. The bougie life. <laughs> like, like, like the fruit and cheese grapes and is, cheese is Come very on. normal. just not on a pizza. That's all. But but do you eat like the fruit and cheese like stacked on each other and then take a bite? Yeah. No, separate. those are separate bites for me. Oh, no. Yeah. See, I can't do that's that together. weird. Dude. Some of y'all just know. can't charcuterie very well. <laughs> you're just, your palate's limited. That's all there is to it. Uh, I guess it is. <laughs> hey, guys. Uh, thanks for listening to the show. Thanks for um, for taking the time out of your day to either watch this or listen online. Uh, uh, if you are still interested on in getting one of those sweet shirts, we are still actively trying to get to that 500 number, both on Instagram and in our Facebook group. So if you haven't done so, please join our Facebook group. We're practically pastoring on Facebook as well as joining our Instagram at practically pastoring. Um, please subscribe to wherever you're listening to this. Give us a, a five-star review. It would be wonderful. We would love for you to say nice things about us, but also share the show. Um, and then please subscribe on YouTube. Delmar is making such great videos out of this. He's also putting these like Easter eggs. Like maybe you've noticed in the wedding video, there was a certain intro song that was pretty so good. It was really good. So good. So, so good. Um, there, I mean, Delmar is just, I've given him, I give him a login. He has complete creative Liberty and he might, you know, get us canceled, but he has the freedom to do whatever he wants on there. We'll enjoy and it. Just all- throw you right under that bus. Delmar. <laughs> <laughs> but there is some like exclusive content that you haven't heard on the show. That's going to be on YouTube. So check that out. With that being said, I'm Frank Gill. I'm Pineapple Pizza. <laughs> I'm Delmar Pete. I'm Andrew Larson. And I'm Timothy Miller. And we are practically pastoring. See you next time. See ya.